This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. All right, welcome to another episode of Justin and Donald Save America. Uh, don't don't uh, filter or you know uh, uh, tune with uh, your picture here. It is just just Donald, no Justin today. But I am being joined by uh, someone straight out of the future here, Ed Hudgens. He is a senior fellow at the Heartland Institute. He's also founder of the Human Achievement Alliance. He's an expert on a whole lot of topics that we're going to get in today, including futurism, innovation, technology. Ed, what other accolades and titles can I heap onto you here? I don't know. I did a whole lot of stuff. I was, I worked for the Heritage Foundation in the late 80s. I came up with the idea of an index of economic freedom. I ran around places like the Soviet Union trying to subvert them. Uh, you know, that went fairly well, but uh, it's got off the tracks a little bit. Estonia is doing <laughs> great, though, so keep that in mind. Uh, worked at Cato, worked at the uh, uh, Joint Economic Committee of U.S. Congress. The Atlas Society is in Atlas Shrugged. And of course, most recently, before I was at the human, before I founded the Human Achievement Alliance, the Heartland Institute, everyone, you should really check them out. I mean, they do great stuff. And there's a lot of great papers at the Heartland Institute by Edward Hutchins. That's right. It's got your name right on it. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, I, I do want this to be just kind of a, a larger conversation. Uh, frequent viewers of this show, uh, just be aware that this is going to be a little bit more narrowly focused, specifically on some of those topics that I mentioned, the futurism, and the innovation, the technology and all of that. Um, it, is, it is part of a kind of a larger thing that Justin and I are working on. We'll fill you in all later on the details of that. But uh, I, I do want to just have this conversation be a little bit more free flowing. I've got a handful of topics that I want to get to specifically. But I'm just interested in just having a long-form conversation about all of these interesting things because uh, I find them fascinating. I know you do as well, uh, and I hope that everyone that's tuning in finds it interesting as well. So Justin and I have been spending a lot of time looking into the Great Reset, the World Economic Forum, the founder of the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab. Uh, Ed, first question, are you familiar with Klaus Schwab? A little bit. Why don't you give the briefing because you probably can tell it quicker than I can. Well, no, I mean, I think, uh, again, viewers of the show, constant viewers mm -hmm. of the show are very aware of Klaus Schwab and his role in the Great Reset and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. But uh, one thing about Klaus Schwab, along with masterminding a scheme that uh, we in Glenn Beck labeled 21st century fascism through mechanisms like ESG and whatnot. Yeah, but yeah. he's also very interested in a lot of the same topics that you seem to be interested in. Mm -hmm. Have you ever read anything by him uh, where he's talking about the fourth industrial revolution? Yeah, and actually, I mean, the fourth industrial, in fact, I'm going to be involved in a conference in Africa on the fourth industrial revolution. Now, fortunately, because I have input into it, and in fact, uh, there's a book I edited, there we go, just read my chapter in there, um, uh, there really is a fourth industrial revolution underway. OK, but the question is, uh, in which direction does it go? And there are some who sort of see uh, any any if any of you have ever watched the movie Things to Come, 1936. It's a British movie by H.G. Wells, and it's kind of a guilty pleasure. It's kind of this it's almost a celebration of fascism, but it's kind of like a techno fascism. You see the world uh, going into a world war. This is years, several years before the real world war started. 
and everything goes to hell and you see things are kind of going back to a very primitive level and then you have you know the men you know the uh, the, the 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 airmen you know who basically have these futuristic planes and they go in and they're all futuristic and they're going to set up a futuristic utopian society and it's really wonderful and you know, it's all these central planners. This was the vision back in 1936 and the 1930s is we have a lot of stuff that's stupid and degenerate. We all agree about that. And so the answer is, well, you know, we'll have a, a dictatorship of the elite, essentially, the techno elite. Won't that be wonderful? Uh, well, I'm all for technology, but you know what? There it is right there. Um, there's a great speech at the end, by the way, by, you know, the hero who taught who they're, they're going to shoot the first spaceship to the moon. Hmm. And uh, uh, a lot of people are opposed to it because are human beings meant to do this? You know, things are just moving too fast. And he basically gives this incredible speech at the end about, you know, how, no, you know, things aren't going too fast. We'll, you know, you know, we're all going to die. But what we want to do first is conquer the universe. Oh, and it's like, oh, incredible. Hmm. But you have some of that informing a, a certain part of futurism today. You know, this whole error of we can have elites who basically plan everything because right. there's a lot of stupid stuff going on in our world today. We all admit that. OK, but, you know, what we maintain is, no, it's not, you know, whether well-meaning or not well-meaning it's not these futuristic planners that are going to do it. I like to show 15 years ago, nobody had the sort of modern uh, smartphone that we have now. OK. 15 years ago, a wacko named Steve Jobs came on and said, I have pulled together the iPod and a telephone and an internet browser and a camera. And you kind of go down the list. I call it an iPhone. Of course, this is a, this is this is a galaxy right here. I'm holding in my hands. 15 years ago, no one had one of these. They had there were some early versions that were out there today. Not 87 percent of American adults have one of these. How did that happen? Was it because of the Ministry of Planning? No, it was because of competition between Apple and Samsung and some others. And that's how it happened. That's the way to think about the future. And so, you know, when you talk about the, you know, the fourth industrial revolution, yes, there is one going on. It's incredible. It's magnificent. But it's going to be led by the Steve Jobs types, not the central planners. Yeah, you know, it's it's he's very clear about it, Klaus Schwab. Mm -hmm. He talks about it. Uh, you know, uh, we went from hunting and gathering to agriculture. Then we moved from a very agrarian society to one of industry, and then we had a tech revolution with computers and the internet. Mm -hmm. And then Klaus says that we're on on the path to a a fourth uh, industrial mm -hmm. revolution, spurred by the advancements in tech areas that I want to touch on today. Automation, artificial intelligence, gene mm -hmm. editing, neural links, metaverse, all these things that I want to talk to you about today. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't necessarily disagree with Schwab's assessment of the coming revolution, as you just mentioned. You know, it seems like you agree that it's coming. Yeah. And I don't necessarily disagree with Schwab that the revolution is going to cause disruption in the way that society works and how people operate in this new world. Where I do massively disagree with him uh, mm -hmm. is on what he wants to do about it. And that's a mm -hmm. subject of a different podcast. And like I mentioned, Justin and I have a ton to say about this specific facet of this topic. So stay tuned yeah. for that type of stuff. But mm -hmm. for this episode, I yeah. just kind of want to... And, and by episode, this might be a series of episodes, depending on how long that we go. But I just mm -hmm. want to focus on the tech stuff itself, how disruptive it's going mm -hmm. to be for society. 
and how nervous we should be about it. So mm-hmm. I was going to say to just take a general whack at that, but I think you covered a lot of that uh, kind of mm-hmm. in that opening salvo there. Yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, just generally speaking, is it something that people should be nervous about? Well, they should be nervous about it in this sense. And by the way, another re- book I will highly, highly recommend if you want to read one book to sort of summarize it all, you've got to read Peter Diamandis's The Future is Faster Than You Think. Peter Diamandis was the guy who came up with the SpaceX Prize. Uh, He was a techno geek like me. He was interested in space. He saw NASA as a big bureaucracy where, yes, they meant well, but they just couldn't get anything done. So he got a private prize set up and um, a private company, you know, put um, uh, a rocket that could go into suborbit twice in a two week period carrying three people. Uh, The thing, the contest was won by Burt Rattan. Um, Richard Branson bought the company and now Richard Branson is running a space company. By the way, so is Elon Musk and so is Jeff Bezos. And isn't that really cool? That was the kind of thing that Peter was doing. And now he found he was a co-founder of Singularity University with Ray Kurzweil, the ultimate futurist. Mm-hmm. He founded um, uh, he's got a thing called Abundance, which does seminars and trying to train entrepreneurs. Uh, I'm a member of some of their activities. So if you want to know about all of this, whether you should be nervous about it or not, you've got to read this book or listen to it. I listen to it when I jog and then I come and try to take notes real quick. But (laughs) we should you should be concerned in this sense. In the past, going back even a couple hundred years, technology was incredible. It was changing faster than at any time in the 2000, 3000, 4000 years of human history before. Okay, but still, most of us had decades, decades for technology to work its way into our institutions, our economies, our cultures and so forth. So people had time to adjust. Um, Even back in the 1950s and 60s, somebody who got out of high school, maybe they didn't even go to college, could get a job. They could work on an assembly line or something. They could have a whole career working at one place. Now, that disappeared decades ago. But one of the things about ex- ex- existential technology, exponential technology, is it changes very quickly. I just mm-hmm. mentioned that 15 years ago, no one had the kind of smartphones that we have today. Today, 87% of Americans have that. You take a look at how technology is spread, but you also take a look at what it does to the economy and how fast that happens. Uh, e-commerce only got going Uh, maybe a couple of decades ago, and now it's pretty much taken over. You know, the mall that, you know, was the big thing in the 1970s, 80s, and 90s, they're still around, but they're becoming more and more shells of what they used to be. More of them are shutting down. People aren't getting employment there. Why? Because if I want something, I simply go click, 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 Amazon, boom, right? Uh, Right. You know, and you you have things like uh, Uber Eats and so forth. So for restaurants, well, you know, I'm too lazy to go out. It's raining. Ah, what the hell? Right. Um, that's what thing. But the point is that the economy is changing and will be changing much quicker than in the past. So in a sense, if you're a young person listening to this broadcast, um, you really have to think about what you want to do in the future. And, uh, you know, what kind of education and training you get. And by the way, I think that's something that's absolutely at the center of uh, our discussion, uh, because right now there is a canyon deep gap between 
what kind of talent tech companies and entrepreneurs want and what the government dominated schooling system is doing in this country. Right now, where I am sitting, six miles from where I'm sitting is where uh, the headquarters was of Craig Venter, who sequenced the human genome uh, in the year 2000. I'll tell, talk about that when we get to talking about bio stuff. Sure. Right over here where I'm pointing, uh, just a couple of miles from where I'm sitting is the, I'm in Maryland, by the way, it's the I-270 Tech Corridor. We have a hundred, over a hundred of the top tech companies in the world doing incredible breakthrough stuff, okay? They can't get the talent. I'm in Montgomery County, Maryland, a fairly prosperous county. I pay too high a tax, by the way, but you know, we can talk about that later. Taxes are always <laughs> but here's the thing. About four or 5% of students in Montgomery County high schools are in some form of apprenticeship program, a learn and earn program, okay? In Switzerland, 70% of kids are in a learn and earn program where they earn money. Often the company will actually pay for their future education if they need to go to college, you know, in return for, could you please work for us? Cause we need people to do all these kind of cool techno things. Okay. And yet you have this situation here where uh, people are, you know, complain about they can't get really good jobs. And yet these folks are just desperate for it. So yes, sure. you should be concerned about how fast technology is changing. You also should be excited about the fact that we are going to be becoming a more and more prosperous world. Again, where we go from zero to 87% of Americans having this, you think that's something. Wait till we get into healthcare in a few minutes, right? But yeah, yeah. you got to be concerned about it and you got to see where things are going and go there. Right, right. Well, so the first topic, first thing that I, I want to get into is just the idea of automation. So, yep. uh, I mean, this is probably something that would be on top of mind of policymakers or mm -hmm. or anyone when it comes to just like the idea of uh, disruption for the everyday person. Yep. Whether it's uh, increased automation on assembly lines or delivery services or, or driverless cars or driverless trucks, mm -hmm. uh, it seems like there is a lot of room for advancement in, in automation. Mm -hmm. And yep. even Elon Musk has floated out the idea that having humanoid robots, I think I actually have mm -hmm. a, a picture of this, humanoid robots that would be able to do much of, if not everything that a human mm -hmm. would be able to do by some specific time. Um, it, it's, it's, uh, here, here's a, here's for the, all the people that are watching this, there's an image of a, a concept of one of Elon Musk's terminators. I'll just call it a terminator. <laughs> so, but, uh, I mean, this, uh, this yeah. has been targeted as having a potential to put mm -hmm. a bunch of people out of a job. So mm -hmm. before we get into like the policy angle or anything about that, uh, mm -hmm. I, I just want your kind of take on just kind of the future of automation as you see it, maybe in the next 15, 20 years. Well, it's exactly what you say. And then some, okay. Remember, uh, I'm sure your audience is familiar with the internet of things. Okay. Meaning that we're not just talking about automation in terms of, well, we can put a robot on an assembly line instead of five people on the assembly line. That of course has been happening for years and will continue to speed up in the future. But it's also even broader. I think the estimate, I have to look it up, is that uh, our plan in a couple of years is going to have something like 500 billion, billion sensors of some kind, whether it's thermometers, whether it's cameras, whether it's what you and I are doing right now, whether it's a, a, an Apple watch that I'm wearing, uh, all of these sorts of things. 
are we the earth, I think one theorist said the earth is growing a new skin. And oh sure. Yeah. And what that means is that, for example, things that used to be out there as physical things will kind of just be integrated into our whole infrastructure. Uh, you know, this was an in interesting insight that Steve Jobs had uh, that helped him, by the way, keep his company, you know, uh, at the cutting edge. Uh, you know, when, of course, when Apple computer started, it was a computer company. <clears throat> Jobs got sort of pushed out. He came back and, you know, he came up with the, the first new great invention was the iMac. Okay. Mm -hmm. a, a really cool advanced computer and it looks neat and the whole thing. Okay. And then he came out with the iPod and then he came out with the iPhone and then he came out with the uh, iPad, all these kind of innovations. Then he had this other insight. You know what? We're a computer company. You're starting to produce these other things. We have to stop thinking of, well, there's this desktop computer and we have some of these portable things as well. What, what, the, what we have to think of is an integrated system. So he came up with this concept of the iCloud. So meaning that instead of thinking of everything, well, I've got my computer and it's sitting on my desk here and I have to go when I want to do something with my music, I got to hook the iPod up to the computer and I got to do this and that and the other. He thought, why not have it all out there somewhere, so to speak? And then everything is interconnected, right? Mm -hmm. And so suddenly um, a lot of stuff disappears. The iPod sort of disappears because now it can just be part of a phone or it can just be part of the ear things you have in. It doesn't matter whether you're sitting at your desk or wherever you are. You can get your music and right. you can basically say, hey, Siri. And oh, mm -hmm. my, my Siri. <laughs> sorry, sorry. False alarm. Uh, you know, you can just say, hey, Siri, play some music. Don't no, Don't play some music. Siri's going to play some music. Suddenly. <laughs> Go away. Sorry. Uh, but, you know, the point is that that's kind of when we talk about um, manufacturing and production in the future, what you're going to see is a lot of stuff that are that is hardware, in, you know, driven, so to speak, is going to be just kind of out there. The more and more we get, for example, integrated, uh, uh, you know, the headphones, you know, that will be integrated into everything. We won't have to have the computer nearby. We might not even have to have this thing nearby. Right. Right. And so, yeah, and, yeah even and, even like media, right? Uh, everyone yeah. would buy DVDs and, uh, you know, yeah. even further back VHS tapes. And now it's all just on a streaming service that you don't need anything more than a password uh, exactly. to access uh, thousands of movies and thousands of right. TV shows and all of that. Yeah. And by the way, there's going to be commercial adjustments, too. For example, I held up a nice movie. Everyone should watch this if you're interested in futurist uh, stuff. This is Ready Player One. OK, very interesting. Uh, film. I still, by the way, have these things because uh, at this point I find, well, okay, I can buy the thing or I can rent it, but I'm not sure right now whether I'll be able to connect to it if I'm on the road or whatever. And plus some of the services, by the way, um, are going to have competition. It used to be that you could go on um, Amazon Prime and get most of the stuff for free. Maybe you'd buy some of them. Now, pretty much you have to pay for everything. They have some uh, headliners that you can get for free, but pretty much it's, you know, I want to rent this thing for four bucks mm -hmm. or YouTube. Now used to be where you can get almost everything for free. If you go to YouTube right now, almost every single video has two commercials at the beginning. 
that are absolutely obnoxious, have nothing to do with the video, <laughs> by the way. You know, and then during the thing you're watching, and you maybe maybe you're watching a beautiful concert, you're listening to beautiful music, and then suddenly, hi, are your boogers really green when they should be blue? Well, if you get this kind of stuff, you know, right in the middle of the beautiful passage, you know, or whatever it is. And so more and more, I'm tuning out of YouTube because, you know, I know they want to make money, but that's might not be the best business model for the future. But again, entrepreneurs are going to come along and say, people like Ed don't like that. So we're going to do something like that. But in terms of manufacturing, to get back to your major point, you're going to see things speed up and you're going to see things that instead of manufacturing it, they're going to kind of go into the Internet of things. Right. And we're, you're, you're not even going to talk about, well, who makes the thing? Well, it's kind of becomes a moot question. Yeah. Uh, so sorry. I, I think this podcast is going to be a, a lot of tangents and I want to go on one more tangent about uh, the the idea of Netflix and streaming versus the physical media. Uh, mm -hmm. And I'll get back to automation. I've got a bunch yeah. of questions on automation, yeah. but um, are you concerned at all about just the fluidity of uh, like media uh, in terms of streaming? I mean, like that movie that you've got that Blu-ray, I think it was that you showed uh, if you turn that on today, if you mm -hmm. turn that on 20 years from now, it's going to be the exact same movie. Are yeah. you concerned at all that 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 uh, that fluidity of that movie as it exists on a streaming uh, uh, service might not be exactly the same 20 years from now? Is that a concern oh, yeah. to you? Oh, yeah. well, actually, it is. Um, and by the way, of course, anybody listening to this uh, podcast, anyone knows of the terrible thing that George Lucas, who was a hero of mine, I love the original Star Wars trilogy, everybody knows about the serious crime that he committed. And that is that uh, Han shot first in that <laughs> famous right. scene, okay? And what happened, of course, I'm joking, and many of you guys, may, I hope everyone knows about what I'm referring to. In the original Star Wars, you know, this gangster comes to collect money from Han Solo, and he's kind of sitting there in the bar, and you know, the guy says, you know, I'm going to collect the money, and you know, Han Solo says, over my dead body. And Guido says, you know, something like that's the way we want it. And of course, Han has his gun under the table and he goes and blows Guido away. And everyone goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then George Lucas years later decided, well, that really wasn't fair. So he has Guido shoot first and miss at like three feet where you can't miss. And then, <laughs> okay. So now if you watch Star Wars, anyone, I took my, my kids, by the way, I took my 11 year olds just recently to the Silver Theater in Silver Spring, Maryland, where they were showing the original Star Wars, well, the Star Wars on the big screen and Empire Strikes Back. And I had to explain to them, well, this isn't the original one that daddy saw, okay? The one right. that daddy saw was good. Okay. But no, you're absolutely right that you can take and tweak all of these things. And so the thing that we saw in Star Wars in 1977, most of you probably weren't alive in 1977, um, you know, could be different. But, you know, again, I think what you're going to actually see is then you're going to have archives. And some I, I might say, you know, uh, Siri. Oh, OK, I got to be careful because <laughs> some, you know, play the original Star Wars or play sure. this version, what that version. And you're going to be inserting characters. I mean, again, I go back to Star Wars. And if you watch the one that I saw on the big screen uh, a week ago, um, there were all sorts of critters and so forth that were not in the uh, original. Now, mm -hmm. Lucas you know, fairly said, look, if I had had the technology back then and the money, I would have done it this way. So this is how I really envisioned it. I'm the artist, so I can do it. Okay, fine. We can 
we can buy that. Yeah, yeah I, I just like yeah. there, there's been a series of stories, whether it's yeah. a Disney movies that now have a warning that uh, oh, you know yeah. uh, certain things are portrayed in this aren't uh, kosher mm-hmm. nowadays or right. Gone with the Wind. If you turn on Gone oh, with the Wind on HBO Max, there's a yeah. four minute long lecture yeah. explaining why what you're about to see is controversial and all of that. And I just like take it one step further and think that like, you know, uh, let's say uh, um, an actor is canceled and just like in the future, what's stopping them from being able to just swap in a new, you know, deep fake a new actor on top of that and and have, uh, you know, uh, now the new the new version of whatever movie doesn't have, uh, you know, Chris Helmsworth in it. It's got someone else or something. Yeah. Or Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross doesn't have what's his name, you know, from House of Cards because he's exactly. He's been canceled, so now they have so. And no, it is a serious problem. And uh, uh, but I think what's going to happen, and this is this is where you have to do sort of the social thing. This is the cancel culture. This is George Orwell that we're living with today. Okay, and a lot of it is absolutely absurd and ridiculous. But I think that's where the revolution. And by the way, I believe we're in a civil war right now. Okay, it's fortunately not a shooting civil war unless you count the 20,000 people who are murdered in American cities, by the way, that are dominated by the Democrat Party. Did I mention that? Um, But I think that's part of the revolution is going to be that we're going to start flushing that stuff you know, appropriately okay. down right. the toilet. By the way, I want to mention something. Uh, yeah, okay, finish this up because I know we're on a tangent so here. Cool. <laughs> this is cool. I mean, we actually see that now with, you know, what happened with Chip, Dave Chappelle getting, you know, wha- getting whacked, you know, the comedian. And right. what you're seeing is a lot of comedians now and a lot of people who you think are sort of liberal left are basically saying, wait a minute, this is insane. Any of you going to Freedom Fest this year, in July, everyone should go to Freedom Fest, by the way. Uh, one of the speakers is going to be John Cleese from Monty Python oh, wow. and uh, Faulty Towers. He's been a very, and he made lots of fun of Donald Trump. He thought Donald Trump was a big clown, but he's very concerned about the attacks on free speech. Right. And by the way, it's interesting. So, so were uh, Ricky Gervais made that famous um, a speech a couple of years ago. It was at the Golden Globes where he just ripped everybody about the free speech <laughs> thing. Um, uh, Rowan Atkinson, who was uh, Mr. Bean and who was Black Adder, you know, another Brit basically is for free speech. So you saw it seeing a lot of people, you know, sort of on, what I call honest liberals basically saying, wait a minute, this is insane. So I think we're going to see pushback on all the stuff. On that sure, sort of stuff. sure. No, that's a good point. All right. Sorry. Back to automation. Um, <laughs> so what, one of the kind of the things that I've been super interested in for a, a number of years is just the idea of like uh, uh, driverless cars. Yeah. And I know that like from a commercial point of view, which drives a lot of this innovation, um, mm-hmm. it, it seems like the most interest is in the driverless trucks. You know, the yep. trucking industry is a massive thing, driverless trucks. So I guess let's just start off before we get into any policy type uh, sure. uh, things. Mm-hmm. Do you foresee large-scale driverless car truck systems being created in the next, I don't know, 15, 20 years? Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, it, we already have most of the technology. A lot of the experiments are showing that there are far fewer accidents with driverless vehicles than there are with um you know, vehicles with human beings. There are some interesting experiments that have been done, by the way, of, well, if it, you, let's say you have a truck, okay, you might want to have a human being in it to prevent theft and for hmm. supervisory reasons. But there have been experiments about, well, do we give the human being some kind of control? And there's a bit of a problem there because a lot of times if you give the human being some kind of control, uh, there's a tendency for sort of, well, 
where does my control end? And, you know, am I the one who's supposed to stop it if it looks like something's going to happen? So sometimes they intervene when they shouldn't, and sometimes they don't intervene when they should. So the idea has been pushing in the direction of just leave it driverless completely. Hmm. And if you have to have a human being there, it's just to supervise or to, you know, whatever the, the other issues are. But yeah, I definitely see this coming along because the technology is there. The other thing is um, one of the areas where, businesses simply can't get jobs are trucks uh, and truck drivers. You know, it's a very high paying job, but it comes with uh, conditions that many people don't want. You know, you got to be away from your family for, uh, you know, if you're driving from Washington to Los Angeles and you know, it's a week or two, you're away from your family. You know, it's, it, you know, some people just don't like that lifestyle, but here's the other thing I'll say. We're thinking 10 or 20 years from now, but I'm thinking about to what extent will we need as many trucks? Because, for example, one of the things that's always 10 years away that may now only be 10 years away is 3D printing. So at some point, instead of having to order, uh, you know, a very nice whatever it is, and it's going to be coming in from St. Louis or Chicago, where you guys are coming to Maryland here, it might just be I go online and or better yet, I do it in 3D. So I basically look at an avatar of Ed Hudgens and I say, I wonder how I'd look if this thing were a different color and da, 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 da. And then I and I'm and by the way, I'm not necessarily even doing it with a keyboard. I'm basically right. saying, Yeah, can you lengthen that arm a little bit? It looks like a little short. Yeah, I don't like the 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 lapel. Can you pull it in, pull it out a little bit, you know, whatever? And then I say, Yeah, that's it. That's it. Let's do it. Okay. And then order it. And then, of course, you know, it's it's automatically billed to an account and it either I pick it up at the local laundromat because they're the ones who have the 3D printers that print clothes. Right. And so it's there when I pick up my laundry or, of course, what would probably end up happening. I won't even have to do that because, you know, they're going to have somebody bring it to my door. It's going to probably be a driverless car that brings it to my door. <laughs> so, right. so now suddenly you see, well, wait a minute. You know, there's going to be certain things where 3D printing actually is going to be very economical. And so you won't need to truck the thing halfway across the country. And that's a way to think as a futurist is, well, yes, you're right about 3D trucks and 3D or sorry, self-driving trucks and cars. But there's other technologies coming along and they're going to compete for those market uh, functions. Right. No, that's, that's, a, that's a very interesting concept there. And yeah, I could just see Amazon stores with various <laughs> different 3D printing things. If you want something technological, you want something uh, textile, you know, you yeah. want just like a, a sculpture or whatever. It's got all the different ones. And it just builds it right there. No yeah. need for transportation. Exactly. And uh, by the way, Amazon stores, since you mentioned Bethesda, Maryland, which is about six miles down the road, it's a very pricey uh, right outside, you know, uh, area right outside of Washington, D.C., had one of the first Amazon stores, which closed down recently. Now, mm -hmm. part of it might have been COVID, but I think a lot of it is you went to the Amazon store and you say, well, this is kind of like border books, but really, really small. And so, you know, there wasn't a whole reason to, you know, you go in there, it's kind of nice, but there wasn't a real reason to hang around there like you'd go to a border bookstore. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, before I go any further, I should have said this at the top of the, at the top of the program that like, 
I'm probably going to agree with you. I'm probably going to agree. I'm talking to the audience here. I'm ta- I'm probably going to agree with Ed on most of the stuff that we're going to have to say here, but that's not going to stop me from playing devil's advocate. Uh, to me, it's a more interesting conversation to have a little prodding interview as opposed to just a series of softball questions. So mm-hmm. if this gets a little bit more antagonistic, uh, you know, people in the comments before you call me an idiot and a Luddite or something like that, just relax, will you? <laughs> so, yeah, guys, uh, come on. don't beat up on Donnie, okay? Come on. <laughs> uh, one other thing on, on the idea of like, um, you know, because as I have, I'm privy to a couple of conversations with some high up people that uh, <laughs> worked in uh, the automobile, you know, industry, and they were talking about how in the future, uh, you know, down the road, 10, 15 years from now, we're not going to be focusing mainly on on, on uh, building cars for the individual. No, we're going to be building <laughs> fleets of cars. And, and this is that along those same lines of we'd have a system, a, a mm-hmm. fleet of automated cars that are all interacting with each other that are driverless. Yeah. And in that scenario, because I've even seen it floated, the idea of like Uber or Google having mm-hmm. a fleet of these cars that are driverless that you just call up, you don't own it, you just pay for that service yeah. and they take you to where you need to go. And very similar to that uh, question that I had to you about, uh, you know, physical media versus Mm -hmm. streaming and all of that. Does it concern Mm -hmm. you that uh, a private company, you know, let's say, uh, you know, an Uber or a Google that has, you know, all of these cars are able to put certain restrictions on their product, uh, maybe uh, maybe restricting where you can go even with their product that would probably be counter to like. I don't know the Bill of Rights or the Constitution. If the government were trying to do it, but since it's a free, uh, since it's a private, you know, uh, uh, actor, they could mm-hmm. do it. Does that concern you at all? Well, yeah. Uh, two things to say about that. First of all, you're right about there's there's a there's a whole argument, and Peter Diamandis makes this argument in the book I uh, I showed you a little bit uh, earlier. That well, I've got a car sitting out here, actually two cars, and it's not being driven right now. It's just kind of sitting there. Okay. It's a nice Toyota RAV4, very nice car. It's just sitting there. And most of the time it's not doing anything. And I have another car, my wife's old car that hasn't moved, I think since COVID because both of us work at home and, you know, we, we, we don't go anywhere without our, you know, without our kids. So we'd never need two cars. So I might get rid of that one, but here's the point. If let's say I decide, Oh crud, it's 10 30 at night and, Poor little Sophia has a nose, has a cold in her nose. I really got to get out to the drugstore real quick and get some medicine. Right now, I can go out in 10 seconds, get in the car, drive to the drugstore, it's over. Now, how quickly will the car be here if I decide I want to get rid of all my cars and I want to contract and just say, oh, crap, I got to go to the drugstore. How quickly can that car be here? So that's going to be a big thing for me. Right now, it's convenient because I can even, you know, it's three in the morning. I just I want to take a ride. OK, I can go out and do that in 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a big question. Um, and by the way, flying cars is another issue that actually they are. They do have the technology now that can lift one of these things. And uh, but that's and and basically you'll use rooftops in city buildings. It will make money that way. Being huh. parking lots for them. But that's another issue. But, yeah, I would be concerned um, because it'll be a private. There'll be private companies that might put restrictions on. But I suspect it's going to be more government that's going to regulate these things and put restrictions on. Now, right now, incidentally, for example, in Washington, D.C., we always see these stories where a cab driver, someone flags a cab and says, hey, can you take me to this part of town? And they say, no, I'm not going to go into that part of town because it's dangerous. 
Sure. And by the way, it's interesting. Usually they're black cab drivers who don't want to go into certain black neighborhoods because they the high rate of robberies and things of that, of that nature. Um, so you already have that sort of thing going on in a lot of American uh, cities. Um, yeah, I, I just wonder because of how like political everything has gotten yeah. and, and the, mm -hmm. you know, we've already touched on the whole idea of cancel culture and stuff. Right. And I just mm -hmm. wonder if, uh, you know, in the future, you know, there's some Trump rally or something right. and yeah. I don't have a car because all of this right. is a driverless car system. And I call up the, the, the Google yeah. Uber car and I say, all right, right. I want to go to this Trump rally. And mm -hmm. they're like, no, we've deemed that yeah. as a, uh, you yeah. know, a basket of deplorable type interaction. And we're not sending cars to that. Right. In that direction. Well, I think that is a, I think it is a problem, but I think that in the end, uh, first of all, you're going to have competition. So there's going to be somebody who figures out I can make money this way. Um, you know, I mean, that's one of the things that's part of the dynamics that's going on with Elon Musk is that you see a lot of people have been pushing back against the censorship on Twitter, the censorship on uh, Facebook and so forth. And now, of course, Musk comes in and, you know, scares everybody basically saying, hey, you know, we're not going to have this cancel culture stuff. And I think you're going to see that in in um, other areas as well. By the way, there are laws and you can debate about whether you should have these laws or not, but there's, you know, things called kind of common carrier laws and, um, and laws for businesses. So a, a strict, strict, strict libertarian might say that if somebody has a store and they say, I will only um, serve whites and not blacks uh, as a, you know, I should be allowed to do that. But First of all, I think it's a deplorable, stupid idea, and they'll probably not, and they'll probably hopefully go broke. But uh, <laughs> yeah, probably pretty quick, <laughs> probably pretty quick, and as they deserve to be. Um, but the thing is, is this: there are there are laws now, of course, and they've been in place for for decades and decades. That if you are like a commercial, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a retail business, for example, you cannot exclude people based on race or things of that sort. And I think what you'll probably find is those sorts of things will say, well, no, you can't, it, unless you have a valid reason, like for not taking somebody, well, it's a flood area right now, or it's a, sure. a riot area. Well, okay. You can say that. So, but I, do, I, I, this is part of the general problem we have about if the government controls everything, again, I think it's going to be more government uh, that's the problem than the private uh, companies. Yeah, I mean, uh, not to uh, kind of tip my cards a little bit, but uh, I, I, you know, we've, like I've said, me and Justin have done a lot of work on the Great Reset and ESG and all of that. Right. And I could see, you know, private companies sure. doing exactly what I said, and their reasoning for it is for mm -hmm. ESG reasons or something by like way, that. But e By the way, we there is a great Heartland paper, and you can, might be able to find it by Martin Hutchinson, okay? And it's on ESG. And okay. uh, I edited the paper when I was a research director at Heartland, and it basically um, looked especially at the E part and basically talked about how it's fiduciary negligence and crime to, for companies to take, let's say, the retirement funds of teachers or truck drivers or whoever it is and put it into these money losing, very risky environmental accounts. And usually it's not environment. It's usually Global warming is the is the thing, anti-carbon uh, uh, stuff. And now, of course, you see that's becoming a public issue because Elon has basically had Tesla kicked out because supposedly they did something that was discriminatory. Okay, mm -hmm. and Elon is pushing back against uh, uh, against that. Uh, so, 
Uh, I even see there. Uh, yeah, there's a, that's, yeah. The, take a look at uh, that excellent piece by um, uh, Martin Hutchinson. For, and again, this is now current in the news because Elon is pushing back. And by the way, there was a, an investment banker, and I just saw this story this morning, and I, I don't have it on my screen, unfortunately, uh, of an investment banker who basically is pushing back and they're talking about whether he's going to get fired or not. I think it might be in England. But essentially, he's saying, well, let's see, Target has lost this much money. We have inflation coming. We have, he lists all of these economic things. And he basically said, we do not and should not be worried about some supposed catastrophe 20 or 30 or 40 years out. And he's right. basically telling, saying, I'm not going to make investments based on this nonsense. And so just those two examples in the last week indicate that hopefully one of the next cracks in the uh, leftist wall is going to be uh, ESG is not just about we don't want to be putting toxic waste in the rivers. I think we can all agree about that. Or we don't sure. want the company saying we don't like you because you're black. We None of us want that. It's, you know, these yeah. kind of things where it's politically correct stuff. Fingers crossed on that. But I know the Davos thing is happening right now. And it seems yeah. like their biggest theme is putting together a global ESG system. So, uh, yeah, we'll be on the front lines fighting that battle. Good. Uh, but uh, so, you know, all of these things, driverless cars, driverless trucks, uh, basic automation. It seems like that has the potential to displace um, maybe a, a lot of workers, truck drivers, uh, you know, people that are driving cars for, for Uber and all of that type of things. Mm -hmm. Elon Musk was on stage during the World Government Summit a few years ago and predicted that automation was going to result in so many workers being uh, replaced <coughs> that it would necessitate a universal basic income system. Mm -hmm. And Andrew Yang ran for president uh, under right. the Dems in 2020. His main campaign point was for a universal basic income system justified by the same threat of people being displaced by automation. Uh, do you think that this is going to be that this is going to be an issue? Uh, a lot of people losing their jobs because of automation. Or do you think that's overblown? It's going to be an issue, but it's the old saying, don't count your chickens before they hatch. Okay. It's the idea. And I've seen, you know, I've seen honest people who I, you know, agree with on much stuff saying, well, we probably will have to go with that. And I say, number one, you know, we're not there yet. Okay. So before we even get there, you know, you know, don't put forward this idea. Number two, we already have a system that targets uh, aid and welfare and so forth at the people who need it. Now, I have lots of disagreements with that system, right? But we have food stamps, we have rent uh, uh, support, we have Medicaid, we have a whole list of things that right now are supporting people who really, you know, need the need it. Again, I think it's done inefficiently, and uh, that's a, that's a whole different uh, argument. But what happens if we have a universal basic income? Ed Hudgens is going to get a thousand dollars every month. Okay, Bill Gates is going to get a thousand dollars every month. Okay, you know, people living in Potomac. Uh, Maryland, this big wealthy area of Maryland, a thousand dollars every month. The poor mother of six living in, you know, downtown Baltimore, you know, uh, impoverished is going to get a thousand dollars every month. Now, is that on top of what she's getting now? Is it in addition to what he's, she's getting now? And how soon will it be people? Will people be saying, "Hey, it's not fair that the people in Potomac are getting a thousand dollars every month, and the poor lady in the inner city is uh, is getting a thousand dollars? Shouldn't she get two thousand, or shouldn't they only get five hundred? Oh, sure. Month? Oh, that's, oh okay, that's going to happen. The other thing is this: it's kind of missing the point of the great thing about exponential technology. Uh, there's always going to be work for human beings. Okay, 
always. The same argument went on with the Luddites 220, 250 years ago. Uh, you know, as as you know, uh, as uh, you know, where uh, as a uh, workshops that had ten women selling shirts each day, and each woman could put out ten shirts a day, so hundred shirts a day, and then they put a machine in the uh, in the in the workplace, and now suddenly you only need five women they could put out, you know. Uh, 200 shirts a day. Well, isn't this terrible? We got five women who are unemployed and the evil capitalists can cut the wages of the other women, right? What happened, if you look at history, is the price of shirts went down so everyone could buy a shirt now, okay? Uh, the profits of shirts went down because now there are thousands and thousands and thousands of shirts out there. And so what happens, the capitalists took their money and said, hey, let's invest in something else. Let's invest in making steel. So sure. we need to hire some people to make steel. And the compensation, of course, is worth a lot more because now with their compensation, they can buy shirts and all sorts of cool stuff. That's history. We're going to have the same sort of thing if, big if, if we have free markets in education. Sure. Where the folks here who are desperate for talent to figure out ways of curing cancer, instead of having our current system in the United States, where the government, like a pusher, you know, gives you a student loan and, you know, you basically spend four years getting drunk and laid and getting a degree that is absolutely worthless economically, right? And then you right. come out and then you become a socialist and you complain and you say that uh, Bernie Sanders should cancel your, uh, your student loan because you were so stupid to take it out to begin with. When, in fact, you probably could have done an apprenticeship here and you would be making $125,000 actually trying to cure cancer, doing something, you know, uh, other than all the garbage you get in schools. That's what we should be focused on is right. what kind of training we get. And then then the whole issue of, uh, of uh, you know, guaranteed income would be, well, kind of what's the point? I'm making $125,000 a year and, you know, these guys are desperate for talents and we have a free market education system we have where you know, we're hooking these guys up. So what's the problem? Yeah. Yeah. My, I mean, my biggest fear, I mean, I see where you're coming from for sure, but uh, you know, that would be in a, in a universe where the government was actually doing things that were <laughs> practical and sensical. And my right. fear is mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, e even if, even if there's mass unemployment from anything, mm -hmm. They'll right. label it, uh, you know, this is the result of technological innovation and all of, of that to, to justify a universal basic income. And yeah. my fear is that we're, we're continuing a path where mm -hmm. we're changing the dynamic of a citizen in right. this uh, system from being mm -hmm. an asset to the country to be able to yeah. produce and uh, contribute mm -hmm. to society and turning it to where the citizen is almost a liability for the yes. system that needs to be taken care of by the government. Yeah. And I feel like if these, if this stuff really does have mm -hmm. even a fraction of the impact mm -hmm. that the Andrew Yangs and the Elon Musks mm -hmm. are, are talking about, we mm -hmm. can see a dramatic shift towards that type of yes. society. And that, that scares me. Well, it should scare you because again, you know, it's interesting that when I talk about gross national product or gross domestic product, uh, it, we have a very curious system where if, uh, if in a country, a new cow is born, that's considered an addition to the gross domestic product, right? If a new baby is born, it's considered a subtraction. Hmm. Right. Uh, and that's how they measure uh, uh, things. Whereas uh, one of the great heroes who should have gotten the Nobel Prize, by the way, before he, before he died, he died too young, unfortunately, uh, was Julian Simon 
who wrote a book called The Ultimate Resource. And he was talking about the human mind. And uh, uh, and, and he, he wrote his books, by the way, uh, in response in part to the Club of Rome. This was this idea that came around in the 1960s that we're running out of everything. We're all going to die. You know, the predictions are that we're going to be running out of oil by the year 2000. Of course, we didn't. That um, people like um, um, Paul Ehrlich made this famous bet with Julian Simon and lost. But Paul Ehrlich was literally writing in 1970 that, you know, by the late 70s and early 80s, we're going to have millions of people dead in the streets from starvation because there's no way, even with the greatest government program in the world, we're going to be able to stop this catastrophe. He's 100% wrong. So you had all of this nonsense going back then. But you're absolutely right about the political dynamic that if this is the perception of people that comes from this kind of Marxist view that was completely refuted by human history and by you know every bit of evidence, then they're going to say, yes, that's what we need. And again, people are going to be looked at as liabilities that need to be taken care of rather than the assets like, you know, mm -hmm. who are making stuff. But that's one of the reasons why we have to fight these battles, not just on the economic front. If it were just a matter of getting the evidence together, everyone could read you know, papers by Cato and by Heartland and all and say, yep, the evidence is absolutely clear. There's no doubt about it. But it's something deeper that we have right. to fight. We have to fight on the moral grounds. We have to tell people that they can't stop. They have to start thinking of themselves as, uh, you know, victims and so forth. They have to think of themselves as producers. They have to take uh, pride in their achievements. So, so keep that in mind that idea of a of a person being a producer because i have another question but i want to i want to bring up the uh, the next mm -hmm. kind of uh subject here which is artificial mm -hmm. intelligence but i'm going to come back to that idea yeah. in a minute okay so artificial intelligence very broadly defined term i think you would agree with that right. uh, mm -hmm. i think when a lot of people hear it they equate it with uh terminator skynet or the yeah. idea of a synthetic mind that'll one yeah. day be indistinguishable from a human mind or even superior but right. artificial intelligence could be used to label a whole host of things from yes. algorithms to advanced mm -hmm. math solving computers you know uh, artificial mm -hmm. intelligence could be applied to a uh, a whole host of different right. things do you mm -hmm. want to comment on that idea or just kind of what you think about when you hear the words yeah. artificial intelligence <laughs> yeah first of all of course artificial intelligence is everywhere right it, it, you know it's it's in our smartphones it's in our toasters it's uh, you know and everything in between again if i say hey siri hey siri i'm listening, <laughs> yeah, I'm listening. go ahead see i mean this voice recognition software is a right. form of artificial intelligence sorry siri no false alarm, false alarm. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, so it's everywhere already. Uh, what people are scared about, obviously, isn't you know this sort of sky Skynet, you know, or, or you know, Terminator uh, vision of artificial intelligence. Interestingly enough, uh, um, Elon Musk says that there are two things that are the, that scare him the most. One is artificial intelligence, um, and that's one of the reasons he's invested in so many companies uh, that are involved in this, and in, including. Uh, um, you know, his uh, uh, brain link, uh, uh, Neuralink. Neuralink. Yeah. yeah, Neuralink, because he wants to be involved in it so he can make sure it doesn't, uh, uh, you know, get out of hand. Uh, interestingly enough, by the way, number two is depopulation. Um, oh, sure. Yeah, and, and everyone's worried. There's still this whole thing about overpopulation. It's terrible. No, 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 that's not the catastrophe. He sees depopulation as the catastrophe. Yeah, 
it's like Amazon, you know, uses artificial intelligence to predict yes. what products you're going to be interested in, uh, yeah. you know, uh, um, uh, computer systems oh. using artificial intelligence to sift through endless amounts of medical right. data so they can right. diagnose a disease. Yeah. Uh, you know, even AI used to determine the best course of action, even yeah. if it means you drawing the short straw. And this, yeah. this to me is where it gets a little bit concerning, right? Yeah. So for example, I can imagine, and you know, uh, these, these are hypotheticals admittedly, but sure. I can imagine a system where the artificial intelligence is uh, basically in, in, in designed to uh, run a nation's healthcare system. Let's say right. like, you know, England's NIH program or something right. like that. Mm -hmm. Now this system says, after it does all of its computations and mm -hmm. all of that, that we can best use our limited resources to save mm -hmm. the most amount of people if we uh, refuse treatment to smokers. Right. Or say, you know, people have, uh, you know, they, they haven't proven that they work out as much as what the national right. guidelines suggest they should. So maybe yeah. they shouldn't be, uh, uh, you know, allowed right. our limited resources. Am I being too fatalistic here? Or is that yeah. kind of like, because I, again, and, and then anyone that says like, oh, I don't, I don't agree with that system. Well, then right. you're just labeled anti-science yeah. because right. that's what the science machine says. Well, I'll tell so, you. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, your your point is your point is very very well taken, and I've had debates with others about artificial intelligence. You know, for the purposes you discuss, and by the way, one of the most important purposes, and I'll talk about this in a few minutes, is analyzing um, medical data and literally being able to predict the heart attack in you before it occurs. And let's go, let's get onto my future medicine thing in a few minutes here. Yes, but also. The, that what you and actually I'll back into the me, the medicine thing by I have I have a paper and I'm giving a talk at Freedom Fest on uh, going from a sick care system which is what we have today to a real health care system okay and three of the what I call warnings or things that we need to be careful about is this number one is exactly what you say let us say Ed Hudgens jogs every day 50 minutes except for last week because I had a horrible cold. One of my daughters had COVID and her cold was not as bad as daddy's cold. But, anyway, <laughs> um, you know, so I jog 50 minutes a day. I try to take care of myself. I try not to eat too much junk food. Da, 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 da. Okay. Um, so I'm in pretty good health. Okay. What about someone who's a couch potato? So if you have a, you have a couple of possibilities here. If you have government insurance, okay like the uh, British system, government controls everything, or the Canadian system for that matter, or even our system, because so much of it is controlled by government, it really isn't a free market system. Then, you know, it's one thing to say, well, you're going to get higher insurance rates if you smoke, okay? Or you're not going to get any insurance um, if you smoke. But then you get into the problem of, uh, uh, you know, of the government dictating uh, what you can do. Now, the government does that already, but what they do is they do it in a mega sense, so to speak. In other words, what they try to do is uh, if they don't ban smoking outright, they try to do everything to discourage smoking taxes. You can only sell it to certain people. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't have ads and so forth or food. Um, you know, well, you can't sell big drinks in New York City. Remember which mayor was it who banned, you know, huge, you know, the big soft drinks in New York City. Right now, the government is doing that, but they're doing it at a mega level rather than, uh, targeting it with insurance, but you're right. They could do exactly that, but there's two problems. One problem, um, uh, one, pop, one problem would be, well, what about the free rider problem? In other words, 
would the government say, well, you know, Ed, you're really healthy and so forth, so you're covered, okay? But what about the couch potato? Does the government say, okay, you don't want to exercise, you want to eat nothing but donuts all day? Okay, fine, you get sick, you're going to lay on your couch and die. Do you think the public would put up with that? Or do you think politicians would say this is unfair? And if you have a private insurance company and the government's out of it, would the private insurance company say, well, Ed, you're going to get the lowest rates because we really know that, you know, you take care of yourself. But the couch potato, either we're not going to cover him or he's going to get very, very high rates he's not going to be able to afford. There's your there's your problem. Oh, I, I see that. And, and my concern, I guess, would almost come from like a privacy perspective, because I could see somebody, you know, talking about those things and having no issue with it at all. Right. But then I, I could see, you know, the government coming in in the case of the England or, you know, right. even uh, private companies and, and right. you know, a private healthcare system mm-hmm. being like, all right, you have to wear one of these yeah. bands on your arm that keeps track of all of your movements and all of this stuff yeah. to make sure that you are. Uh, in fact, exercising as much as you yeah. say you are and, you know, different things that are that are put into your body to make sure that you're not consuming yeah. terrible stuff for you. Right. And, and so that is that is that like uh, can can is that like a knot that can't be untied? Like, does that come hand in hand? Uh, the reduction is, of privacy for all of these things? Yes. And this is this is a central point of the piece I'm working on. I'm going to give a talk on this. OK, there are five factors they could actually move us from a sick care system to a healthcare system. Right now we have a sick care system. You get sick, right? And then you get some medicine and you know maybe it helps, maybe it doesn't, we don't know. And then you argue about how the bill is gonna be paid. Do you pay it through government? Do you pay it through a private insurance company or whatever, okay? That's what we have today. Uh, there's not a whole lot of incentive for you to stay healthy because it's collectivist, it's group you know, insurance in one way or the other. Here are the five factors that could actually create a healthcare system, but you'll see where your the points you make are exactly the points, the challenges. Number one, the cost of sequencing a human genome went from $100 million in, 2000, in the year 2000 uh, to $10 million in the year uh, 2007. It's under $1,000 today. And there's a group called uh, Fountain Life in Florida that will sequence your genome and get a personalized healthcare plan for you, not for 70% of Americans between 40 and 50 years old who've never had diabetes, who have that, blah, 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 you personally, okay? And we have other analytics that can look at your blood and so forth. So we have this analytic, we have artificial intelligence and other mechanisms that can look at that information and say, oh, this is what your your genome tells us. In 20 years, you're gonna have a high propensity for X or Y. And uh, there are other analytics about blood and so forth that can really do this kind of thing. Number three, we have wearable diagnostics. We have Fitbits, we have Apple Watches, we have Aura Rings, uh, we have glucose monitors for people who have diabetes. Uh, We are gonna have in the next decade injectable uh, uh, diagnostics that can monitor your electrolytes, uh, enzyme, uh, all of these kinds of things. Um, and I'll tell you about the privacy issues in just a second here. Number four, okay, that's number three. Number four, we have, um, uh, you know, well, that is actually, number, uh, you know, we have uh, basically real world monitoring. So we have an artificial intelligence that's monitoring me in real time so if they see my ve- my my veins are starting to go like that mm-hmm. with cholesterol, 
or if they see it looks like I'm on the verge of having a heart attack, the medics are to my door even before I know it. Okay. Sure. And, but number five is with CRISPR-Cas9 genetic editing, with stem cell treatments, with CAST-T, and with these other things, we may be able to go in and say, well, you know what? We're going to get rid of this before it's a problem. I want to give one personal example. I just saw this uh, literally last week. I had this, uh, this kind of personal for me. About a year and a half ago, uh, my niece, uh, her three-month-old baby died suddenly uh, from SIDS, you know, sudden infant death syndrome, something we really don't know much about. And, you know, you can imagine what a tragedy it is to have a little baby die. Um, it was just announced last week, a breakthrough, that it looks like they've discovered a particular enzyme that is um, associated with uh, SIDS or the lack of that enzyme, right? Mm -hmm. So we basically now have, and so now we have a system that my five points that we can, we, we, we have analytics that, that look like it's this enzyme and a lack of that enzyme that causes the problem. Uh, we can look at babies, newborn babies, and we can screen them for that enzyme, right? We can have monitoring uh, of these babies in real time. Um, if there is a problem, you know, we'll know that they're, you know, that they're having a, a seizure, but we can now start developing uh, treatments that can make sure that they never die to begin with. Now, how many parents, if given that option of your baby not dying, would say, yes, sign me up for that. And you have the same thing. My mom, my 90-year-old mom has Alzheimer's and it's not a very pretty thing. One of the things that came out about a year and a half ago is um, they've been using CRISPR-Cas9 genetic editing tool to turn off the production of tau proteins in neurons. And what that means in English or any other major language is it's the clumping of tau proteins in neurons. It's associated with Alzheimer's. Huh. So that's incredible but here's the problem and this is the problem that you talked about what about privacy um what about am i going to have are we going to be a day where for example you know i'm about to eat one of, uh, by the way i'm a half italian that's why i talk like this okay <laughs> i make i make incredible pit cells my mother used to do it but she's you know can't do it anymore so i inherited the pit cell maker i make incredible pit cells for a christmas party ever invite me out there i'll, I'll bring the pit cells Am I going to be eating a pit cell during Christmas? Okay. And suddenly my, you know, AI is going to be saying, Ed, I'm sorry, you can't step away from the buffet. You can't have those pit cells, <laughs> um, you know, and it is a concern. What do you right. do in the situation when on the one hand, I can make sure that I live to 200 years healthy without Alzheimer's, without heart attacks, without all these other, cool, uh, all these other terrible things. But what about the situation with privacy? And can I can I basically opt out? Will you have a program, an AI program that says, well, within certain limits, Ed, you can have all the cookies you want and all because after all you jog, so there's not a problem. It's a serious trade-off issue. And I don't have a real good answer for it, but that's the challenge that in the next decade, anyone listening to me, those are going to be the kind of things that emerge and the kind of choices you're going to have to make. Yeah, you know, I think that it's a kind of an easier discussion when we're talking about, uh, you know, a private industry and, and like this is just like a, you voluntarily voluntarily making these uh, uh, choices and trade offs and all of that to a conversation with like the NIH, what I'm what I'm talking about, uh, yes. you know, universal healthcare system where it's for the greater good that yes. we have your medical data and all of this filtered through a yes. Watson machine to make sure that we can save as many lives as possible. <laughs> yes. That that conversation gets a little bit more interesting. And I, and I want 
want to go back to that thing about you were talking about, uh, you know, mm-hmm. someone being a, a producer, right? Yeah. And I, I, I have this idea. I haven't passed this by anyone that has mm-hmm. a, an interest in technology and anything. So feel mm-hmm. free to shoot me down. Sure. But, you know, when it comes to the met- metadata and just the, mm-hmm. the the general information that's collected mm-hmm. from you whenever you go to a website whenever you buy a product uh yeah. anything like the like the the medical data that you're talking right. about coming from a fitbit or you know the right. like or anything like that that mm-hmm. all has value that's yeah. all used to streamline algorithms and to determine like oh people that like this also like this and yeah. all types of different things uh, yeah. the medical data uh, making uh, better more fine-tuned diagnoses when it comes to diseases and all of that it all has value yeah. but we're giving it away for free right mm-hmm. so is there a way where a person could theoretically be compensated for that you you talk about the idea of 5 million uh, 5 billion sensors 500 a lot of billion. that 500 billion sensors uh, a lot of that is just you and me logging yeah. in just general information just even on yeah. our smartphones uh, leaving a review for a product or anything like that those are yeah. all uh those you know yeah. that and a whole bunch of other things are part of that sensors yeah. so is there a way that like an individual can be compensated uh for all of that information or is that just pie in the sky no it's not pie in the sky i think that's part of emerging markets um, and what's happening is, and by the way, you're right. Big data is going to be absolutely crucial. Certainly it is in the medical area. Okay. Because those, um, you know, there's AIs that are that, like the Watson computer, the, for those of you who you know may not know the Watson supercomputer, um, was able to look at thousands and thousands of MR scans or MRI scans, and then not only do predictions that were as good as a team of doctors, but make discoveries and say, oh, here's an interesting connection that none of you ever made. I had a friend worked at NIH, National Institutes of Health, right down the road here. And he moved to Boston last year because he got a job basically analyzing, using, creating the AI uh, algorithms for analyzing sort of scans of this, you know, lower part of the body. He's doing that literally right now as we, as we speak. So the mega, mega data is absolutely important. But again, I think you're right that what's going to happen eventually is okay so um yeah i'm happy to sign up with your insurance company and part of the deal is of course you're going to get all of my data but here's what i'm gonna i'm going to expect and i think what's going to happen is you're going to start seeing a little bit more of a market develop because again i'm i there's certain things i don't mind that amazon sees that i'm interested in science fiction movies because cool they're going to try to sell me all the science fiction stuff that i can possibly uh, consume there are other things that I'm a little more reticent about, okay? And I'm not talking about illegal stuff or whatever, but um, <laughs> sure. you know, but I'm you know I'm more I'm more concerned about, it and I might actually shy away from it because I know, my gosh, they're going to just bombard me with this stuff. I don't need it. By yeah. the way, any of you who are listening to me who ever go to a CVS uh, drugstore and the receipts are like about this long. They're like a, <laughs> m- a mummy. And a lot of times I say, please don't give me the receipt because it's just so long. So, you're right. But you're absolutely yeah. right. I think there's going to be a market developing for that. And it's going to be a, you know, it's going to be a sort of thing. At what point do I see it's really becoming a nuisance. So if you want my, my daddy, you got to start paying me or give me a discount or whatever it is. 
Yeah, I just wonder if that would ever be uh, uh, valued enough where that almost supplants the idea of a universal mm -hmm. basic income. You're almost mm -hmm. being compensated for being a live yes. walking around sensor for all of these different artificial intelligence, uh, mm -hmm. you know, mechanisms and algorithms that are out there. Yeah. Uh, I just thought it was an interesting idea. Well, and, and by the way, I think it, I think it is something that's going to emerge. By the way, another thing I want to mention here um, is um, uh, I've seen estimates. Uh, Peter Diamandis quotes a Japanese uh, researcher uh, in this book that if you had all of the same uh, technology, you know, that you have in the uh, smartphone, if you had that same technology in like the 1980, let's say, or something like that. Um, I've seen estimates that you have 10 million or according to one theorist, up to a hundred million dollars of value in your pocket. Think of that. Well, right. we need universal basic income because, well, you know what, without you doing anything, anything, you have a hundred million dollars in your pocket, right, right here. You have access to all of the knowledge in the world. My kids each have an iPad and, you know, they're incredible artists. They can find anything there, you know? And so, you know, yeah. Come on, guys. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> so, so let's go a little bit more into the the gene editing topic here. And yeah. and you know, I I I got you onto this podcast saying that it was going to be an hour long, and we're already north of an hour. So at any point, if you need to pull the plug on this, that is fine. Let's keep going for a little while. It's, it's I already, already fun. I already expect this to be a two parter thing. So maybe we'll, <laughs> okay. we'll maybe we'll aim for three parts. We'll see. So sure. gene editing. Um, yeah. So I know that you you've already brought this up the whole CRISPR thing. Right. Um, mm -hmm. th this idea that uh, you know designer <laughs> babies, I think, is the way they right. talk about it in the media. Yeah. And the mm -hmm. fear is for this type of thing, and you can go into some of the specifics mm -hmm. if you want to, um, or the generalities. Right. Uh, the fear here is that rich people are going to have access to this technology before anyone else, and that the mm -hmm. rich people are going to have uh, the smartest, most charismatic, beautiful children ever. And those children mm -hmm. are going to be better positioned in the world to mm -hmm. compete, uh, to be successful when they're competing against, you know, a bunch of ugly, stupid babies. Yeah. So I, it's not usually put as bluntly as that, but yeah. that's generally, uh, you know, it's almost like a, a type of technological divide, you might say. Yeah. Um, so yeah. what are your, what are your thoughts just on, I, I guess, if you take it in any direction you want. If you want to talk about the kind of the miracle of this type of technology, have at it. But right. also, if, if you want to address those kind of okay. concerns well, you know, that are tied to it. Right now, of course, as you know, this is the year 1990 that we're having this conversation. And it's quite clear, you know, that the digital divide is going to really polarize our society. We're going to have this very small group of individuals who can afford, you know, uh, uh, you know, computers. Uh, they have these new things called desktop computers. Actually, it's late '80s right now. I think we're going to come. In, we're coming up to 1990. We're going to have this digital divide, where only a very small number of people are going to be having computers. Some of them are going to have like, like even 50 megs of memory. Can you imagine that? 50. I mean, seriously, that's where the technology is going today. And you're going to have a very small group of people who are going to have these things and they're going to be super intelligent. They have access to, you know, uh, thousands of pages of information, not just tens or hundreds, but a couple of thousand of pages of information. My God. And, you know, you're going to have the masses that are just completely ignorant and um, you know, can't give any information. All of the libraries are going to shut down, of course. Uh, and it's it's going to be absolutely horrible. My God.
Uh, yeah, and of course, all of that didn't come true. What happened was, was the price—the price of uh, you know the 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 clunky computers you had in 1990 or 1985, except for the uh, the uh, the uh, uh, Macintosh, of course. Uh, you know, the 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 prices collapsed, right? The you know the capacities went way 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 up. Same thing for smartphones. And basically, uh, you know, you go to any construction site over here. We have people who come around and do some of the lawns of the some of the people. I'm too poor to do that. I, I don't know my own lawn. You know, and all of these you know uh, Hispanics who come to this country so they can work and have a better life. All of them have these things. How did that happen? It's going to be the same thing for genetic editing. Okay. First of all. Yes. If I had known, if we had had the technology 20 years ago to prevent my mother from having Alzheimer's, uh, none of this, you know, uh, techno fear would have had anything to do with it. I'd say you're going to get my mom this treatment and, you know, that's that's it. But the thing is, how do you get that treatment to everybody? It's the same process by which we got smartphones, computers, laptops and all of these things to everybody. It's entrepreneurs out there. The genetic editing tools we write, have right now, and I, you know, I talked about CRISPR-Cas9, I talked about stem cell uh, therapy, I talked about Cas9, you can go into details if you want, but basically all of those are very primitive stages and they're very costly right now, okay? But what's going to happen is you're going to have the same dynamic. Hmm. And if you have a market, then basically, I mean, Matt, let's talk about an insurance company. I'm an insurance company because I'm working right now on some uh, FDA reforms here in, in DC. If you have an insurance company, they say, well, let's see. Um, we can um, wait till this person is 60 years old or whatever. And then, uh, you know, 73 or 74% of all sort of major illnesses that kill people are in older people. So you're an insurance company you say, well, let's see, we can wait till this person is older and then they're going to have hundreds of thousands of dollars in medical costs. Or we can invest in the technology that's going to make sure they don't get the Alzheimer's or that they don't get the heart disease or they don't get that. If you're an insurance company, you're an evil profit making insurance company. What are you <laughs> going to do? You're going to go for those technologies, aren't you? Right. And that's the kind of thing. That, that's why I want to see a market where Steve Jobs types in the healthcare system are looking at that and saying, that's what we want to do. We want to head off the costly diseases that come that when you're 60 or you know 70 years old. And by the way, this also goes for like some of the people I'm working on right now are trying to do FDA reform to for pediatric treatments. Uh, one of the uh, gentlemen who I'm working with, I think it was about 10 years ago, he had like a seven or eight year old daughter who died of brain cancer when there was a medical treatment that was being tested by the FDA and he couldn't get it. You can imagine how angry he is with the FDA and I can right. give other examples like that. So the point is, I think that what's going to happen is uh, it's, uh, you know, yes, at first it's going to be the rich who get it, you might say, but just like smartphones and computers, it's going to be available to everybody. Do you think that there's a moral gray area when it comes to to this type of stuff? I mean, like when you talk about the the idea of like eliminating diseases or something so that people aren't plagued by, you know, some of the diseases that you had mentioned, SIDS and the like, like that, that seems like one thing. I think a lot of people would be very interested in our society pursuing technolo technological advances that, that eliminate mm -hmm. things like cancer and, and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But yeah. is there like, uh, you know, when it's being used to 
pick like eye color and to, to make sure that the baby's going to be, you know, six foot four when it's uh, fully grown and, and mm -hmm. you know, pick the hair color and style and all of that stuff. Is there mm -hmm. is there a little bit of a, a moral gray area for you or is it just, you know, if that's what they want and they got yeah. the money for it, let's do it. Yeah, I mean, at this point, it's, you know, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Any technology, you can say it is going to be a downside. You know, someone invents a hammer, you know, you can use it to build a building or it can bop somebody over the head with it. Okay. And so at this point, I'm not really that concerned about it. And I don't want to do these kind of proscriptive regulations that are going to kill, that are going to, you know, sort of kill the innovation before it comes. Yeah. If you want to have a certain eye color, that's fine. And by, and by the way, the other thing is that, again, if you take a look at where the real, um, uh, progress is going to lie in the real results and what an insurance company will put money into or whatever. It's going to be in these things I'm talking about is curing diseases and all. The other thing I'll mention, by the way, is the last 20 to 30 years have uh, brought us incredible insights about how the brain works, uh, not just about aging, which is one of the big things right now, but also about how the brain works, uh, how learning works and so forth. And so there's going to be a lot of interest in that. So you're not, it's not going to be a simple matter of, well, guess what? I'm going to have a baby and I'm going to tweak them. So they have a brain of an Einstein right now. We don't have that capacity. Yeah. That maybe you can change their eye color. Okay. Whatever. Okay. But right now it looks like there are going to be other much more important things that are going to determine, you know, you know, who the smartest kid is, or, you know, and again, there are people who have very high IQs who are stupid ne'er-do-wellers, frankly. And sure. it's often the, it's often the dropouts like, Hmm, uh, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Larry Ellison. God, look at all these dropouts. They're never going to get anywhere in life, are they? <laughs> right. Uh, so we we brought Neuralink already once. Um, right. So this was something that caught my attention a couple of years ago. Elon Musk was on Joe Rogan, and he talked about the, the concept of Neuralink uh, pretty much in length. And from what I recall from that, it was basically like, you know, we've got these supercomputers and these supercomputers are getting, you know, uh, faster and faster every generation. And what's limiting our ability to utilize this supercomputer that's in our pockets is literally the speed at which we can interact with it. Yes. Like, you know, uh, uh, your your fingers can only type so fast. Uh, right. Your Google searches can only happen so fast. You talking to Siri can only happen so fast. So right. the way that he described this neural link was that you would have a bi the ability literally plugged into your brain to yes. interact with your supercomputer just by having mm -hmm. a thought. Just mm -hmm. by having a thought of what your Google right. search would be, you would have this information coming up mm -hmm. on your screen, filtering yep. through your head, all of the like. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then, you know, I've had conversations with certain people about the concept of Neuralink, and they've talked about how the more practical applications of it uh, mm -hmm. in its uh, infancy form would be medical, uh, medical things, uh, yep. making sure that uh, neurons are firing in your brain that the way that they're supposed to. And if they're not, yep. they'll be targeted and, and regulated, mm -hmm. uh, you know, according mm -hmm. to the way that it should. Uh, mm -hmm. whole, whole host of different medical things. Yep. Um, but uh, what what are your thoughts on this idea of of yeah. uh, actually having something yeah. built into your brain that now mm -hmm. you're able to you know have a whole bunch of different uh, uh, possibilities? Right. What's your right. thoughts on that? Well, my thoughts on that are um, okay. Sorry, downloading into my brain right now. So I can, uh, uh, yeah, you're getting questions. the correct answers from the Ministry of Truth being beamed yeah. in right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why we have to abolish the Ministry of Truth. But um, no, I mean, first of all, you're, the, the first part you talked about is right. That when you look at where the money's going to go, 
it's going to go for these very practical um, uh, applications, you know, about looking at your brain again, if there's things you can do. And I've seen some research that shows, well, uh, you know, you can do things with people who have Alzheimer's with Neuralink or with some similar thing, or for example, people who have, what is it called? Locked in syndrome where their brain is functioning perfectly well, but they can't talk, they can't speak, they can't move, they can't do anything. And there's been some experiments now where you hook it into their brain and then they can think and they can start like typing mm. uh, by thinking about it. Right. Uh, and so, and I've seen some, uh, I'm trying to think there was a really good movie about this. And I can't remember the name of it. It was some weird thing about the, anyway, but um, um, so that's going to be the, that's going to be the initial work now. And by the way, again, if you want to read about things like that, uh, this is kind of the herb book on all of this is Ray Kurzweil's The Singularity is near. He's supposedly doing an update book on this right now, incidentally, with a, a friend of mine who's, I think, working with him on it. Um, Great. And my thinking is, uh, first of all, in some ways, I would welcome that. Again, I've studied some foreign languages, so I can kind of mutter some things in German right now or Italian or whatever, you know. And it would be great if I decided I wanted to go to Rome. And even though I'm part Italian, I can do a little bit of Italian. But it would be great if I didn't have to actually go through and review Italian, if I could just start speaking Italian. Or, for example, as I read through some of the experiments, uh, in gory detail about uh, mitochondria and aging. And I can sort of follow the logic, but if I have to look at some of the numbers, it would be great if I could just in my head, right? Right, right. Or even better for editing a Heartland paper instead of, doing you know, it'd be great to do it. <laughs> um, and so I would welcome a lot of that. And I can see the, you know, what people, the sort of things that people would fear in terms of the downside, but there, there's a, there's a really brilliant guy. Sorry, I keep pulling books off my shelf. And I'm like, no, no, it's impressive. <laughs> You've got a book for everything that we talk about. I've got a book for everything. Yeah. Max Moore is uh, edited the uh, transhumanist reader and uh, everyone should take a look at this. His first essay is, uh, you know, one of the best um, essays on the, um, on, on the subject. And he talks about um, the dangers of the precautionary principle, which I know you've talked about, Heartland has talked about in terms of environment. The precautionary principle summarized is never do anything for the first time. Um, sure. You know, it's, it's this oversensitivity. Well, we've got to make sure there's no danger here and no danger there. And, blah, 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 and you know, and so, you know, anyone who's read Ayn Rand's book, Anthem, it's a very short novelette. And, you know, it took 50 years and it's basically this kind of dystopian society it's kind of very primitive and they took 50 years uh to evaluate the um dangers of a new proposed technology called the candle um and that's a precautionary principle right and max moore talks about the proactionary principle and basically he says you basically continue to move ahead and if you see some dangers you kind of ask without rhetoric without the media you know screaming about it and without you know the public all saying hey we've decided that x is dangerous you basically do it calmly you keep moving ahead you don't stop something because someone can dream up something in their heads that could terribly that could happen and then if you really see problems then you start to look at practical ways to address them and i think max moore's proactionary pro principle rather than the precautionary principle is a template that you can apply to the things that you've just brought up right uh, as well as some of the other discussions we have about technology.
Yeah, you know, and, and and even though I admittedly am playing devil's advocate on some of this sure. stuff when I'm bringing up these concerns, uh, there is an element where um, I do think that, like, you know, if we can predict some of these possibilities uh, and, and gauge how realistic of a possibility yeah. it is and then work to uh, preemptively stop that from happening. Like, mm -hmm. I, I have this idea that... Um, um, like movies like Terminator and artificial yeah. intelligence and all of that. People get so afraid of it. Well, what yeah. if that like, what if that fear caused people to mm -hmm. take that into account when they were actually in real life creating artificial intelligence yeah. to make sure yeah. that that never happened in the first place. Mm -hmm. So there is an element of that, that I am, uh, um, yeah. uh, you know, sympathetic towards, but sure. in generally speaking, uh, I agree with, uh, with that yeah. principle. That By the way, I mentioned that. Yeah. That's a, that's Isaac Asimov's three raw laws of robotics. Uh, <laughs> you know, oh. where, where you basically, you know, in, in his robot series, he, plugs in and again he was well ahead of his time and he said you create these androids but the three laws of robotics is you know androids you know can never harm a human being sure. uh, you know never can, they must uh, they must uh, obey human commands except if it involves except if it uh, contravenes the first law and they have to you know work for their own survival unless it contravenes the other two laws and of course that's science fiction, but it's kind of like trying to get ahead of things. I will mention one thing, because uh, I think this is crucial. You know, I founded this group called the Human Achievement Alliance. Nice little uh, thing there, right? Okay. But my uh, the idea of my group, the Human Achievement Alliance, is that exponential technology and all of these things we're talking about, robotics, biohacking, and, you know, uh, nanotech, et cetera, can open up a future of unimagined prosperity with, um, uh, uh, you know, with uh, long, healthy lives for all. But what we have to do is exactly what you say, inform people. We have to look at where the landmines are, so to speak. If there really are, if there aren't landmines, we have to say, look, let's use the proactionary principle. And let's move ahead. So that instead of waiting 20 years to have something that'll help my mom's Alzheimer's, we could have done it 20 years ago. And if we do see something that is possibly a danger, yeah, let's see if we can deal with it up front. So your your point is correct. Yeah, yeah, there's there's another thing, and this is probably a topic of a whole other podcast. I know I, I want to wrap this up in the next five okay. minutes. I promise you. Okay. Uh, but uh, there is one other kind of larger scale thing that that really concerns me when I'm when I'm looking mm -hmm. at all this different futurism type stuff. Because mm -hmm. if it was just voluntary interactions and private companies mm -hmm. and, and guessing and checking and certain things fail and certain things succeed. Uh, mm -hmm. I would be generally a lot more optimistic about this stuff, but because government plays such a large role in all of these, uh, a lot mm -hmm. of these things, it mm -hmm. concerns me that they will artificially put us on a trajectory that's not the one that we should be naturally taking. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, just like a couple of examples, I, I can come to mind. Mm -hmm. Like um, I, I know from conversations that I've had with certain people that some large automakers, um, mm -hmm. you know, decades ago, we're thinking that we should be pursuing um, hydrogen powered cars as right. opposed to electric vehicles but right. because the government has uh, disrupted yeah. and manipulated yeah. that system right. so much yes. uh, that that's been dropped. And now we're right. moving in this direction. And it's like, is yeah. that good or is or is it a bad thing? And then mm -hmm. one other one, I'll let you comment on this, mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, the idea of uh, future fuel sources. You yeah. know, what if what if the natural progression of stuff was that 
we do fossil fuels, then mm-hmm. we'd move on to a nuclear power, then, uh, you know, some type of fusion power after that yeah. and, and the mm-hmm. like. But because yeah. the system is so manipulated by the government, now yeah. we're chasing wind and solar as if yeah. that's some type of, you know, futuristic thing when it's not. Right. Yeah. So I, I just feel free to comment on that and just kind of the government's kind I mean, of outsized yeah. role in all I this. Mean, yeah, that, and you're, you're exactly right on this, that um, when the government decides that they want to do something you know, on that level, it usually warps markets and it usually has adverse effects. You've seen the headlines now about uh, how we may be having blackouts this summer um, because of, uh, you know, because of what we've done with our energy mix. Uh, we have one of the worst wars since World War II because the German government decided to get rid of both fossil fuels and nuclear. Right. Right. And therefore, but of course, they couldn't run an economy, even though their energy prices were three times as high as the United States, they couldn't run an industrial economy without these things. So they basically had to import all of that from Russia. And basically, Putin was basically relying on the fact that the Germans, well, they're addicted to our fuel, so we can basically go in and kill as many Ukrainians as we want. And what are they going to do about it? We'll just turn off the tap. So, I mean, we already have one of the worst wars because of this really stupid dangerous idea and think of how many people are but the point you're, you're the point is is absolutely correct and by the way i'll give you another one is thought is um biofuels and uh several decades ago we decided well uh you know why don't we you know use biofuels now part of it was just basically a sop to the corn industry because you know basically we can give the corn people subsidies and they can get votes that way but right. what could be what could be the downside of literally burning your food well <laughs> uh let's see and and by the way one of the downsides interesting enough is that you had incredible environmental damage because a lot of the the uh, you know the the stuff was going into the Mississippi River and going into the Gulf of Mexico and causing serious environmental problems in uh, the Gulf of Mexico. And second, um, Mexicans who really depend on corn the way we you know, tend to depend on wheat in this country suddenly saw uh, corn prices going way up for their basics. And so right. poor Mexicans were suffering because we decided to burn our food and by the way it wasn't even it wasn't even an efficient thing it wasn't like you were getting more miles per gallon in fact was more environmentally damaging so yes when the government decides to step in and pick winners and losers in the energy market it's bad now by the way that's why i have nothing against um uh you know entrepreneurs coming up with cheaper fuel and if you can come up with some, I mean, natural gas, by the way, was really great. And that's one of the reasons why we had such low, you know, energy prices in sure. the last, up until Biden came in. Uh, and, you know, if if um, Elon Musk comes up with a new battery so I can actually store the thing and then so forth, fine, I'll go out and buy it without a government subsidy. Right. But the problem is when the government says forces this and there's uh, excellent papers for your listeners, there's really some excellent papers on the environmental damage done by wind and uh, solar. I take uh, I take a look at. Oh those. yeah, oh yeah, no doubt. So Ed, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up. Uh, I I have on my little sheet over here five more topics that I was uh, wanting to get to. Uh, you know, we could talk more about Neuralink. We could talk about the metaverse, uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, uh, some more transhumanist type stuff. I'm ready you got for your, it. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So um, I would love to have you on again. Uh, maybe sure. maybe we could record it again uh, next week or something like that. Yeah. We can get more into depth in some of this stuff. I would love for for your take. Yeah. 
on uh, more of these Absolutely. issues. Absolutely, I love to do this. And again, part of my Human Achievement Alliance, <laughs> I want the discussion that we've been having today to be the framing thinking of anybody who's in the liberty movement and frankly, honest liberals who basically say, we want a better world. We know that the systems that we've been using in the past have been have not worked. I want that this, this discussion of futurism yeah. and technology to frame the way we think right. um, for liberals, yeah, I, conservatives, and everybody. I think you're ahead of the curve here uh, at the Socialism Research Center with Justin and I. We've always kind of prided ourselves on being a little bit of ahead of the curve when it came to some of this stuff. Uh, we were some of the first people talking about the Great Reset, and now we're shifting into this. And hey, you're already here. So I think that's a testament to you being ahead of the curve on this. Uh, but for people that are interested in this stuff, they want to see more work uh, from you, where can they go to see yeah. that? Go to www.humanachievement.com alliance.org or you can email me at ehudgens at humanachievementalliance.org it's on the um, uh, website there and i by the way i am a, uh, a heartland scholar and, and it's probably in my uh, bio on the heartland uh, website as well and you can find by the way uh, and again for a future discussion i've done a lot of work on food and drug administration reform you can find my pieces not only in the, on my website, but in uh, the Heartland website, since I wrote these things for Heartland. So go there as well. Heartland's cool. All right. Excellent. Thank you all for tuning in, everybody. Uh, check out our next ish, uh, edition of the Justin and, Don <laughs> Justin and Donald Save America. Uh, please uh, subscribe, write a review, share this content. It's the easiest thing that you could do. It's the most cost-effective thing that you could do to help break through these big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown on other people's screens. So once again, thank you all for joining us, and we will talk to you next time.